Thank you for listening to this episode of MESPA Principal Cast from the Minnesota Elementary School Principals Association. Welcome to the MESPA Principal Cast. This is Brett Domstrand, your host today, and I am honored to be uh, joined by Melissa Sonic, who is currently the elementary program administrator for teaching and learning in the Roseville Public Schools. But Melissa, you were also formerly an elementary principal at Edgerton Elementary. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's uh, it's great to have you here, and and you and I have known each other from the Minnesota Principals Academy at the University of Minnesota, and uh, I think both of us would say, everybody, you really should join it. It will change the way you practice leading. Mm, um, absolutely. <laughs> uh, but before we start that, uh, Melissa, I want to just talk a little bit about what got you to make the change from being a teacher and moving into administration. What 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 led you to that path? Oh, that's a great question. And it wasn't something that I had initially kind of set out to do. The way that it came about was I was facilitating professional development in um, 622. And I had a, and the assistant superintendent came to me at the time and said, hey, have you ever thought about being a principal? And I, I responded with, with what I thought was very wise. I was like, no, like who would want that job? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and he said, no, come and talk to me about it. I think you'd be, I think you'd be really good at it. And what created the shift for me is when we sat down to process it, um, one of the things that I said was, but I love, um, like one of my passions is literacy and instructional leadership um, in literacy specifically. And I said, I don't, I don't want to let go of that. And his response kind of shifted my perspective. He said, you don't let go of it. You bring it with you. And that's what makes you a better principal. And I think all of us have that, right? We have different yeah. elements of in our background that were things that we were passionate about as educators or teachers that we bring with us that help us add value to the principalship in different ways. And so that's what kind of started me on this journey. And then I, I got my administrative license and then I went through like a life change. I got married, we had a baby and it's just, I wasn't in that place that I wanted to pursue the principalship. And so I just became kind of a student of the principalship and I studied really great principals that I had the opportunity to work with, are close by, and um, just kind of became a student of the principalship. Uh, and so I had my license for a good five years or so before I actually became a principal. Wow. So, so you really did. So it wasn't like a residency, though. It was just an opportunity for you to see what was happening. I guess your, your building became kind of your, your observation lab. Yeah, absolutely. I was an instructional coach, and so I worked closely with principals at um, across the district and and um, at my own school. And we had a shift in principals at that time, so I actually had a few different principals over um, three years, three four years. And so I was just able to watch how new folks approached the principalship. Like I literally started a folder that was like new principals <laughs> to to um, kind of keep track of some of the really effective things that they did that I could then replicate um, when it was my time to kind of become a principal. That is such a smart thing to do. I I, I wish I had done something like that. But uh, that's uh, it, so. Now let me let me ask you this: What was um, what were some of the ways that when you actually were in that position, what things weren't you prepared for um, when you were able to lead your own building? Mm, that's a great question. Uh, I have a funny story. Uh, so I was the uh, shortly after I became the principal. 
uh, a few months in, there was uh, some uh, adult conflict at one of our school events, and it was between um, the uncle of one student and the father of another student, and I was close enough in proximity that I could intervene quickly, but I will be transparent with you about my first thought. <laughs> um, my first thought was like, oh, we need to get whoever's in charge, and I was like, oh, that's me, <laughs> that's me, okay, um, and so I, you know, I engaged, um, but you just there are so many things that happen in the principalship that you um, like, we didn't cover this in principal school. That's one of the things I love about Minnesota principals Academy is it does get into some things that we didn't necessarily um, come equipped with, but no, nothing is ever going to prepare you for uh, everything that comes along with the role. I think what right. I felt most prepared for was instructional leadership because I had that coaching background. Mm -hmm. I think what I, I didn't feel the most prepared for was navigating adult conflict. Um, whether it was with staff or students, I'm sorry, um, staff or families or community members, but navigating that that conflict is something that um, is not always easy and can be very delicate and involve lots of kind of um, passion and strong feelings. Mm -hmm. uh, and so navigating that I thought was difficult. Is that something that is in your personality? Has being able to navigate conflict been something you've been good at, or is it something you've had to develop? Or tell, talk a little bit about that. Well, I think all of us have our our defaults, right? Like our right. strengths, and and so for me, I tend to be an emotional leader. Like I I value love and relationships, and I feel like um I, like I could so stay in that warm and fuzzy quadrant, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if I if that's where I live, and I don't have the courage to face the current reality of our, our school or different situations, then I will actually do a disservice to the very organization I'm trying to serve. And so for me, it's it's about both, right? Like we can, mm -hmm. um, we can um, keep relationships intact and have positive relationships um, and problem solve together. And so I don't think it's an area where, um, like, I don't know a lot of people whose feet hit the floor in the morning and they're like, man, I really hope there's some conflict today. <laughs> <laughs> right. I hope I can navigate this one today. <laughs> yeah. Like, and we're from Minnesota too, right? So it's, uh -huh. it's like Minnesota nice. So I don't, I wouldn't say conflict is something that I naturally um, am inclined uh, to navigate with, um, with a lot of grace or, or skill. Um, but it, it's really something that I, I've learned across the last, last six years that I, that I was a principal. And I, I did what I always do when I have no idea what to do. And that's I read. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and so there was a, a great book, and I hope I don't butcher the title, um, but it's the the um, educators, it's Talk It Out, The Educator's Guide to Difficult Conversations. Um, and so that framed up for me um, how to problem solve with people and not take it personally. You know, in that book, they talk about how um, problems are problems to be solved and not a test of who we are as people. And I think that wow, was something that's a great that was, framing. Yeah, because so often as principals, we're like, it must be me. Right. Like I, I had this novice idea as a new principal that if I was just really good at, at, at being a principal, um, there, there wouldn't be so much conflict. <laughs> right, right. Like it's almost like I think we're supposed to be the savior as a principal, but that's not really the job. Yes. And so what it, what it helped me like detach from is my self-worth from solving problems. We're going to have problems and it's not about who you are as a leader. It's a problem to solve. Um, but that was also helpful because I think lots of people like approach it that way. Teachers, families, like it, this is a, just about problem solving because we all have the same end game, right? Like we want our kids to be successful and the, the best little piece of people that they can pos possibly be. Yeah. 
It's uh, and that's and that's if you always boil it down to that core, you can normally find our common ground somewhere. You know, you know, Melissa, I want to I want to um, circle to a conversation you and I have talked about in the past. But so you you were principal during the time of um, when Philando Castile um, was shot. And yes. I know that that really rocked your school community. Um, it also helped it, 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 it made you and helped you grow tremendously in your leadership. Can you talk a little bit about, because most of us haven't had to deal with, with a, tra- a traumatic and such a community and foundationally um, rocking um, situation. Can you talk a little bit about how you helped rally the community, the, the families, your students, and, and really made that something that everyone could heal through and be a stronger community from? Yeah, absolutely. So tragedy struck our community and it was the summer of 2016 with the police shooting of Philando Castile and it was just miles away from our school and within our district. And like many, this brought up about, you know, really complex feelings uh, and trauma for adults and children. And so we as a school and as a district, we're trying to um, navigate through this. Uh, and again, it's just another one of those things that, that happens in the principalship that you, you just don't always feel prepared for, right? And, right? and so we started to do communication with our families and we hosted some circles where we invited um, families and staff in um, to just process and talk. And we also connected with individual families who were more involved. And for me personally, um, I think there's times that leaders, as leaders, that the more we listen, Uh, the more that we learn we have this moral obligation to do more. And um, my growth and and learning through this process is that we need to be the change that we wish to see in the world. Like we are the ones that we've been waiting for. If not us, then who? And so I saw an opportunity present itself with the um, Maplewood Police Department. And what they were doing was they put together a use of force community task force and they brought in community members uh, uh, to examine their use of force policies, work with police officers around use of force. And and it was really provocative, you know, after um, talking with police officers, like this wasn't something that that um, that like it was it was a sensitive topic for them too, right? Like imagine as educators, we said we're going to bring in a bunch of community members and have them examine our educational policies and then say what you know what their their thinking is and, and how we can improve and be better. Um, and so I think it required an act of trust um, for the police officers and the community members. And for me, I signed up um, even though I don't live in the Maplewood community, but I I joined as the principal of a Maplewood school and I was really there to be the voice for students. And we were scheduled to meet, you know, for three months, for, you know, a few hours each month, and it lasted for over a year. Uh, And there was a lot of learning and a lot of reading of um, policies and manuals, um, but a lot of really hard conversations about policing and race. Um, But the results were something that you were kind of alluding to is there were changes made in the use of force policy and training on implicit bias in the Maplewood Police Department. And our full body of work, uh, it lives as the community guidance to police officers in their manual. Um, And something else that that it was really special to me that was that came out of this is at Edgerton we developed a partnership between our schools and the Maplewood Police Department that's still going strong today and what happened was there was a father on that task force and he was a black father and he said I just want my child's first interaction with the police to be positive and I thought we can do that 
we can totally do that. And so what we started to do is um, develop a process or like a partnership where police officers came to Edgerton and they, you know, give kids high fives as they're getting off the buses or chat with them in the hallways or, you know, throw the football with them at recess. Um, and the intent was just positive first interactions. And the part that I, I came to me later, it wasn't, it wasn't intended in the initial design, but a, a byproduct that, that I saw from this partnership is that research shows that biases are rewired through relationships. And as I was watching our students have positive interactions with the police and police have positive interactions with our students and worst mm -hmm. core 80% of our students are students of color. Um, what I found is that we were rewiring those biases, um, biases that young people may have about police um, and biases that police may have about youth or youth of color. Right. So it was a really, I mean, it was, it was a journey. Like it was a, it was definitely a, um, a tragedy, but we, we tried to really come out of it in a way that, um, brought the community to get together and healed us all because I think we all needed it. Right. Well, most definitely. And, and just from our conversations around it, it, uh, it, pro it, it provided a set of challenges, but out of, out of it came a lot of productive, um, processes and, and changes of how you do things. And it's, uh, uh, thank you for being a voice and being willing to get uncomfortable because sometimes I think as leaders, it's easier to take, uh, you know, I, I don't know how, what I have to com uh, contribute to this conversation. And so maybe it's better I don't step into it and, and you just jump right in there. And uh, Melissa, that says a lot about who you are as a leader. So oh, I appreciate that. Thank um, you. Knowing you personally, that's just a, that's that's something that is a, definitely a reflection of who you are. Um, so, you know, I want to talk a little bit. This is kind of in relation to that last question, but now it moves into, you know, you're talking about how we can rewire our, our thinking when it comes to bias, but there's also a way to rewire our thinking and how we provide ourselves self-care. Mm -hmm. And um, that's something that you're also um, uh, definitely somebody who will go tell it on the mountain <laughs> for, we have to take care of ourselves, we have to take care of others. And really when we're in a relationship in leadership, it's about making sure that everybody that's working with kids is, is getting their needs met however possible. Um, you let a book study um, Actually, before I even start talking about Onward, will you talk a little bit about what led you to doing the book study and how you do care um, with staff? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so I think that, you know, being an educator and being a principal specifically is one of my greatest joys, but also one of my greatest challenges. Uh, and the way that I explain it sometimes is that I love being a principal, but there are days, and I'm sure you can all relate, that it feels like the principalship doesn't always love me. Uh, and <laughs> Definitely. Being, yeah, being an educator is hard. And one of the things that I realized um, a few years ago is that I, I, I can't make it any easier. But I think one of the greatest gifts that I can give um, to my staff and other principals is um, to encourage us all to cultivate emotionally resilient educators. And, and I'll tell you, um, kind of to circle back to your original question, you know, why this matters so much to me. Uh, and Brene Brown is one of my personal heroes. And she says that vulnerability is our most accurate measure of courage. Um, and this is really important to me. So I'm going to lean into that that vulnerability and, and share a little bit. Uh, I've had three mentors as, as a principal. These are people who I, I love, people I have learned from, people who I strive to emulate. You know, their fingerprints are all over my leadership. I'm sure you can think of folks like that in mm -hmm. your world too, right? Mm -hmm. um, we all have people who have made us better versions of ourselves. Um, and one of those mentors, uh, actually two years ago, um, we lost one of them um, mm -hmm. and he took his own life. 
and that is it's tragic whenever that happens um, but when an acting principal commits suicide it's it's complex and so for me it started this journey of um, mental health of um, staff and educators and so again I did what I do when I don't know what to do um, I started reading and I started reading all kinds of books about school culture and it wasn't quite um, what I was looking for it was all good stuff um, but I found really what I was looking for in fostering that emotional resilience in the book that you mentioned onward which is um, and I believe the full title is onward cultivating emotionally resilient educators mm-hmm it's a it, it's a I, just so you know you inspired me to go out and get that and start reading it so that's why I'm just like you had to talk about it because it it motivated me and so uh, it's uh, um, so so talk a little bit about how you led that um, because you you really broke it down into pieces that were um, digestible is not even a fair word to use but uh, in a way that that you could continue doing it throughout the year with your staff we, we talk a little bit about how that went for you yeah absolutely so um, the way that the book um, onward is structured is it starts with this um, kind of resilience manifesto and um, part of the premises of it is if we are going to it, attend to the emotional um, intelligence of our young people, we must simultaneously attend to that in ourselves. And so the professional development plan um, the, that is kind of laid out in that book or that I built off that book um, follows the arc of the school year. You know, September is about um, relationships and community building and trust. And December is like, look for the light. Like there's more bright spots than you think. Um, <laughs> and then April is ride the wave of, of change, which is very appropriate for, you know, when staffing and things like that come about. So I really appreciate how it followed that um, kind of the energies and how they shift across the school year. Mm -hmm. One of the outcomes that I found in, in that work is that we, we lived some similar experiences, but it didn't necessarily come at the same emotional cost because we were tending that we had that social and emotional learning for ourselves as adults and for staff. Um, Salem Thomas really nailed it last year at MESPA when he said, we need to stop praying for a lighter load and mm -hmm. start praying for stronger backs. Oh, right. And, and to me, this, this was how, and, and since we've talked about this last, th this has evolved a little bit because now I'm in more of a district role. And so we are expanding this into the work that we're doing with um, district leaders and administrators, um, the same kind of work around social and emotional learning. We're also infusing it with, so we're using the book Onward, and then we're also infusing it with Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead, uh, because the work that we do as, as district leaders will ripple out to our, bu our, our buildings and school culture as well. Um, and so um, my hope with this in fostering um, social and emotional learning with the adults is that that's how we reach the kids. That is, and you know, if, it, it, this is going to go back to what I was saying with you earlier, is that if you, if people are feeling good about themselves and they also remember that we all have that common ground of our kids, each of those, each of those chapters can be broken down to find that common ground of we can all be happy and we have to look for, when you say the bright, the points of light, I'm going to say this goes throughout the whole year is mm -hmm. helping people see the good in a lot of situations because I think as educators, we were taught in a system that taught us to find the differences or which things don't belong mm -hmm. or, and, and then we carry that bias along with us. And so it's easy to point out the things that aren't working well in our school. And it's like, 
but look at all the amazing things you are doing and this is because of the work you're doing for kids and it's um, as someone you, you've turned around I mean you, you really I mean you made a big change at Edgerton for the, the academic performance for the not settling for anything but the best in literacy in all of your academic practices um, did you use that same type of motivation of, of care and relationships in order to turn that around or did you find that you were leaning more into your instructional leadership or how did you bring about um, some of the changes that occurred at Edgerton um, while you were there? Oh, I think that's a, a great question. Um, for me, I think it, it always starts with relationships. Uh, and so one of the things that as a new principal that I tried really hard to do was um, three things. Listen, um, learn, and love. Um, it's, it can be really scary for buildings when they've got a new principal coming in. Um, a principal in a building sets the tone, right? Like mm -hmm. um, it will ripple out throughout the whole school. And, and so folks get worried about that. And so I really wanted to start by building trust and relationships. And I also feel that once folks um, trust you and they're, they're willing to like run alongside you, um, you can go so much faster in the long run because you've already built the rapport and the trust and the relationships. And it's okay to push back and be vulnerable and be wrong and fall down and get back back up um, when those relationships are in place. So I think it always starts there um, in terms of building that rapport and relationships. Um, and then it's also um, working along, along alongside a site improvement team. You know, when you have a site improvement team or a leadership team, um, that's, that you can do some of that, that critical work with and, and get the perspective of um, teachers and different stakeholders in your buildings, EL teachers, special ed teachers, specialists, um, to build the shared vision and value. I think it's a lot easier to move forward and implement change um, when you've got the relationships and the team. And then also using the, like the data, like what does the data tell us? What are we doing well? And mm -hmm. where is our area of growth? Um, because what I found is that, you know, teachers are, teachers are good people. They care deeply about kids. Like they, they all want kids to be successful. It goes back to that, like our, our shared goals. We may want to take different paths to common outcomes sometimes. Um, but when we create the, um, that picture of here's what we need, here's why, here's how we're going to get there together, and then here's how you're going to be supported in the process. I'm a huge advocate for professional learning. Um, I think that learning is one of the closest things we have to magic, and so when we mm -hmm. help teachers learn in the process, we um, set them up for success to go back into their classrooms and create some of those systemic changes. That's uh, that is so well so well said because it, it, it does take that uh, that coordinated effort and you know Melissa I'm gonna I'm gonna say something is that you really relationships are foundational to everything you do and um, I want to talk a little bit about MPA the Minnesota Principals Academy mm -hmm. um, so first of all what motivated you to decide to join that at the U of M because it's 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 quite the commitment to be part of. Yes, absolutely. So I uh, I tried to get into Minnesota Principals Academy before I was a principal. <laughs> like oh. I, I, I mentioned that I had my administrative license for a while before I actually used it. And that I also mentioned that I had some amazing mentors. And I would watch um, some of these principal lead in ways that I was like, how did they do that? Like, how do they know that? How do they know about educational systems internationally? Right? Like, mm -hmm. how do they have mm -hmm. these frameworks for strategic thinking? Um, and so finally, I just had the guts to ask one of them. And what I found was that, uh, and what they said was, oh, like, I didn't, I didn't learn this per se in my administrative program. I learned this through Minnesota Principals Academy. 
And so that's when I was like, I think that this is the next step for me for professional development. So I tried to attend as a coach and um, needless to say, you know, in education, there's not always free money laying around. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and is so, there ever? <laughs> I know, right? And so um, I wasn't able to attend as a coach. So then when I became a principal, I was like, oh, I don't know, it might be tough to do in my first year of the principalship because the first time that you're new in any role, it can kind of feel like drinking water out of a fire hose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, um, I stayed in the, the, my role for the first year. And then I actually switched districts. So I was a first year principal in two different districts back to back. Um, So finally, in my third year as the principal, I was like, okay, I think I think it's time to do MPA. Um, And so I was like geeked out excited to begin because it was something that I wanted to do for years. Uh, it's and and seriously, it's so fulfilling too. the the depth of the learning that we have, the conversations, the activities, it's uh, it really makes you assess and analyze where you are as a leader, where your school is, and where you want to be. And it gives you the tools to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's and you have to go slow to go fast. I'm gonna I'm gonna say when you were talking about having having your teachers run alongside of you, it's once that trust is there, but it's also helping bring that. Um, bring that knowledge because when you come in with a lot of, I'll, I'll say this, like when you're talking about reading is every time that you go to a conference or you read a new book and you want to share an idea with your staff, you have to know, they go, uh-oh, what are we going to be doing next and how is this going to make me change? Mm-hmm. And, and so knowing that that is a lens many people might start from is how do you make that, that information palatable? and accessible where it's this is the right thing for us to do and here's how we're going to bring it about and i think mpa it it helped me change my leadership and i know it definitely helped you Oh, absolutely. I think one of the biggest shifts that that MPA created in me was the kind of this notion of scholarly leadership mm-hmm. in the sense of um what have we read that makes us think that this is a good idea. You know, like it's us being the lead learner and modeling the reflective learning and growth process that we want our staff and students to engage in. Um, because we're going to get lots of ideas as principal of things that people think we should do. I mean, it will range from learning targets to underwater basket weaving. <laughs> so we have to ask, like, what's the research? What have we read that thinks us thinks that this is going to be a good idea? Um, so, for example, one of the things that, that we did at Edgerton that I normally, I wouldn't have done it this way had I not gone through MPA, was um, there were some suggestions to make some changes in our homework policy. And so what we ended up doing is we read case studies and research around impacts that homework has on student achievement um, to ensure that our outcome um, like was matched by what we um, what we what the research was showing us was best for students. So I, I think that MPA, the other thing about Minnesota Principals Academy too, is that it's a thinking program. It's, mm-hmm. And as principals, we get stuck sometimes in that, what should we do? Just tell me, like, what do I do in a classroom on a Tuesday? Um, and it's not, it's more complex than that. And so that's something else that I appreciate in terms of how um, Minnesota Principals Academy is structured. Well, you know, it's, and it's interesting too, is it's not just us, like, what does this mean on a Tuesday morning? It's also our staff. They, yeah. they want to know like all of you. So, so now <laughs> this is going to be my segue, Melissa. Mm-hmm. So get ready for your big dynamic mic drop here when you tell us about <laughs> teaching and learning and being an elementary program administrator. So whenever the, the ideas that come from above, if we look at the hierarchy of educational leadership mm-hmm. is, is, you know, often uh, principals will be resistant to something that comes from the, the district. Teachers will be resistant to something that comes from a principal and so on and so forth in that hierarchy is 
So now that you're making the switch this year into being an elementary program administrator and, and really talking about the teaching and learning aspect of it, um, how how do you, like thinking of this as a new leader, I mean, this is a new position for you just this year. Yes. Um, how, how do you frame or what is your thinking right now of how you want to bring about change in a way that can help develop principals and other leaders in your district? Well, I am, I'm two months in uh, to my new role. And one of the things that I, I think I made a mistake early on of thinking because I um, was already in the district um, that I would be really familiar with, you know, systems and structures and processes. Um, so I didn't anticipate a big learning curve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's been a big learning curve. Um, and so I, I think for me, it, it starts with going back to uh, what I said I start with in the principalship. It's, it's learning right? It's yeah. listening. Um, and it's also operating from a place of love. Um, and so for me, it's really learning a lot about different departments and how different departments work together. You know, as a principal, everything is in your lane. You don't stop to ask, like, is this my lane or is this my lane? Like, you just are responsive. If you see a need, you do it um, and you lead. Um, you think about your building, your kids, your families, your staff, and you go. And then this work, because it's so new to me still, I'm like, is, is this my lane or is this my lane? So, like, it's starting first about, like, learning. But then something else that, that I've realized that getting back to your question around, like, creating change. So, first, I think it's learning right? Like yeah. learning what are our current strengths and weaknesses, um, understanding our data, um, not just for one site, but from a district perspective, which is it's much more in depth. And then also it's the collaboration with different departments and alignment. And so if I try to create change just through the lane of teaching and learning, um, I'm going to miss some critical elements um, are like um, collaboration opportunities with departments like special education, um, English language learners like our EL. And so um, one thing that I've, I've, I've had to like caution myself on because leaders aren't always patient people, right? Right, most definitely. <laughs> but it's slowing down to collaborate. And so I think that um, change at a district level is different than change at a building level. Change at a building level feels a little bit like turning a speed ship, like a speedboat. Yeah. And change at a district level feels a little bit more like turning a cruise ship. Like you look at it, you can't tell it's turning, but it is actually turning. Right, right. Uh, and so I think it, a critical part of it too is um, like distributed leadership, um, making sure that I'm working with different departments. So principals, administrators, EL, SPED, um, all of these different roles, community education, um, to make sure that there's just a lot of alignment. Um, because mm -hmm. what I'm finding out is if you don't do that, it can feel very fractured and, and confusing for teachers. And, and that's not the experience that we want for our staffs. But more importantly, like we want to be setting kids up for success um, or setting up our staff for success with their kids so too. So true. Yeah. Okay. I, I I know our time is running out here, but I, I'm going to ask two two last questions. And the first right, one will be, uh, so storytelling. Melissa, you are a phenomenal storyteller. And I don't know if that is something that you have worked to develop or if you've read books or if there's um, something that has the impact. But talk a little bit about how storytelling has been uh, part of how you help, uh, how, how you've become a leader. Uh, well, first, thank you. That's a huge compliment. Uh, I, and somebody else told me that just this last summer. And again, I, I didn't um, 
it was a huge compliment. And I didn't see myself that way until somebody pointed it out to me. Um, I think it's a couple of things. One, I think it's my background in literacy. So I was a, a literacy specialist for five years and that's what we do, right? Like we tell mm -hmm. stories and mm -hmm. then we learn from those stories. You know, authors write in ways to um, help teach us who we want to be and how to make the world a better place um, by listening to those stories. And I think that um, that's a piece of it. It's my background as a reading teacher and in, in, in literacy. But I think the other piece of it is just being relational. Uh, I think I tell stories because it's part of what connects us. It, it bonds us as people and people will remember stories sometimes more so than, you know, data or research or um, statistics or some of the technical work. And so mm -hmm. I think those two elements of, um, you know, the background in reading, but then also just kind of having a relational um, default to, to who I am. I think that's why I tend to fall into tell, telling stories. And it's funny you pointed out because I didn't, um, I didn't start today about like, well, what stories should I tell? But stories do seem to come up. Yeah, they they do, and you and you're a natural at it. So okay, so then the last question, the last question is a two part question, but it's short. Okay. Uh, first, what books right now are on your bookshelf, or what are you reading right now? Oh, okay. So the first is um, I'm doing a book study with the um, principals in um, the Roosevelt Area Schools on Dare to Lead. Mm -hmm. Absolutely love Dare to Lead. It's one of um, Brene Brown is is phenomenal in terms. It's of, a great audio book too, people. So if you don't have time to read it, it's worth the listen. <laughs> and she has it adapted for schools if you want to do this work with um, educators. Mm. Is, um, is she she's coming at the end of the month, right? Or is she, I is believe she, she is. Yes. Yeah, I, I think I saw something that she's coming. Uh, the other book that is on my nightstand that I just finished is um, Culturally Responsive School Leadership um, by Dr. Khalifa, who is at the yeah. U of M. Yeah. Um, and that is an amazing um, book. One of the things, one of my big takeaways from that is how we engage the community and work with families as true partners in, in interrupting systems that um, predict racial disparities. Mm, mm. So those are my big two right now. Awesome. And all right. And then the last one is if you um, if you could say principles out there, those of you who are listening right now, this is a book you've got to go out and read. What would you say, you know, two two books or whatever? What, what are ones you say every principal should read? Oh, that, that is a great question. Uh, I think one is Onward, um, Cultivating mm -hmm. Emotional Resilience I in agree. Educators. That is by Alina Aguilar. And uh, I think that that book is critical in terms of developing our own resilience and i don't know about you but when i am resilient i do my best work yeah, when i'm not resilient that's when i start to fall short of living into my values mm -hmm. um, i think any book by Brene brown is um powerful um i also um shiraki holly's um um, uh, culturally, culturally responsive. Yep, culturally uh, and linguistically responsive teaching yes, is another it, really powerful book. Yes, that's great. Love it. And the manual is super helpful too, people. So if you do the book, also get the manual because there's lots of good resources in there for how you can lead your classes. Oh, Melissa, thank you so much. Seriously, I I just I love the learning right now. I just got a half hour. Um, basically TED Talk from Melissa Sonic. So that's, uh, I hope everyone out there has enjoyed it. Melissa, can people find you on social media or anywhere like that? Yep, absolutely. I'm on Twitter and on Facebook, and you can also find me in the Roseville Area Schools. Right. So, well, Melissa, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, to speak with you and to know you as a colleague and someone who I admire. And uh, um, thanks for coming on the MESPA Principal Cast. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Brett. It was fun. Uh, have a great night, everyone. Thanks for listening. Be sure to download, subscribe to the Mespa Principal Cast, and we'll see you in the next episode.